Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. I'm glad that you're here. And we are looking at our Sunday School lesson for May 28, 2023. So if you are a teacher preparing for all of this, then may the Lord bless you and bless your class and open up uh, eyes and hearts and minds to the truth of the Scripture. And if you are watching this because you're keeping up with your class and unable to attend, then our prayers are with you and may the Lord bless you as you learn and grow as well so that we're all in unity around what the Word of God says. That's the important thing. Uh, Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. That would uh, qualify for the book of Galatians. And also they continued steadfastly in uh, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so uh, we just encourage you to be a well-rounded believer, and we want our church to be like that as well. And thank you for your participation in those things. Um, looking at the book of Galatians, Paul had established this church, preached the gospel to these people, and they had been saved. And uh, then after he was gone, Paul's enemies came in, and uh, we don't, I mean, we some things we are pretty clear on. They were real big on telling these Gentile believers, these baby Christians, you know, it's great that you trusted Christ, but, you know, you uh, also need to be circumcised. That is a command of Scripture, by the way. And they would go to Old Testament law, and they would uh, take those commands and impose them on these uh, new believers who were Gentiles. Well, obviously, that's uh, very painful and very strange. And yet they were told that you're not really a Christian unless you do that. Well, how would they get them to believe that? You know, uh, one of the things I thought of that would be really easy, these Galatian believers really admired Paul. Paul led them to the Lord. Paul discipled them. And all these Judaizers from Jerusalem had to say is, uh, well, hey, you do know that Paul is circumcised. And, uh, you know, don't you want to be like him? I mean, he's done all of this. And they wouldn't um, necessarily go back and say, well, Paul did all of that before he became a Christian. But it's not necessary to become a Jew after you become a Christian. But they're acting as though, hey, we are Jerusalem Jews and we have kept the feast, we have kept the law, as well as trusted in Christ. So if you really want to be a super Christian, a super duper Christian, then this is what you need to do. Add some of these things into uh, those. Now, when you think about Paul traveling with Timothy, remember Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile, and he had not been circumcised. Well, before they went to Jerusalem, Paul had Timothy be circumcised. It's not a sin to be circumcised. It is a sin to pervert the gospel. Okay? Two different motivations there. Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, it'd be just better if you would go ahead and do this, and then uh, that's one less barrier to when you're preaching to Jews. And uh, Gentiles don't care. The Jews will care. Let's Take that argument away from them. The Judaizers are telling the Galatians, you can't really be a Christian unless you do this. See the difference? I hope that's clear. 
And so Paul is uh, uh, pretty ticked off with these people from Jerusalem that come in there trying to undermine him and even worse, undermine the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's read what he says in this next section of scripture, Galatians 1, 11 through 17. And he says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, back when you first received it, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, uh, kind of a mega persecution, we might say, and I tried to, and, and look at the words he uses, tried to destroy it. There was no room for compromise in Saul of Tarsus' mind. It was all or nothing. Get rid of the, all of the believers. Verse 14, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went, of all places, to Arabia, to the desert, and I returned again to Damascus. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's focus in on this uh, uh, first part of this. Number one, Paul talks about the gospel's origin in uh, verses 11 and 12. And he says, I want to make known to you or reiterate to you that the gospel that, of salvation that I preach to you, that's not something that humans came up with. That's not something that I dreamed up. That's not something that I had some kind of a you know, weird vision because I ate pizza before I went to bed and now this is what I'm thinking. This is something that he said I received from the Lord himself. Now, uh, this gospel is not according to man. That means it doesn't originate with man. It is not something that is uh, can be tied to humanity. If you look at the doctrines of Mormonism, you can tie it back to Joseph Smith. If you look at the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you can tie them back to uh, Ellen White. If you look at the doctrines of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can tie them back to, uh, I believe his name was Orville Weirville or something like that. And uh, you, you always go back to those things. In fact, even the uh, Judaizers, if you were to be honest, the things they were teaching, they were not going back to Scripture. They were not going back to Christ. They were going back to rabbis and the rabbis that happened to teach them. Like uh, Paul was well taught in Gamaliel, the preeminent educator in Jerusalem of his time. 
And uh, so there were all of these traditions, all of these thoughts that would go back to people, going back to men, going back to uh, their ideas. And Paul said, that's not what I preach to you. Verse 12, for I neither received them from man nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is his claim to be an apostle. To be an apostle, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. And so uh, Paul was not one of the original 12, and um, yet he was an apostle. He was the next one. As he said, I'm an apostle out of season, okay? And so uh, he said, I got this from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He revealed it to me. Now, Paul is emphatic in defending his apostleship because if he's lying, if he's making this up, if he is the originator of this thing, then it's no more, uh, it's not useful. It's not helpful. It's not any good. It's just something that a person has thought up. But he says the gospel is not of human origin and it's not based on human achievement either. Now, why is that important? Because Judaism started off uh, with the Lord giving the law to Moses and the people in the desert. And you remember the law of God, we're told in the New Testament, was never designed to make somebody right with God or to make somebody righteous. All it was is to show the inadequacy of the human to ever meet God's standard. In fact, the law is so detailed and so strict and it covers every part of life that nobody could ever uh, keep it. In fact, in Acts chapter uh, 15, when the uh, early Christians and the apostles were conferring about this very thing in Galatians, in Galatians, do the Gentiles have to become Jews? One of the things that Peter, the apostle that took the uh, gospel to the Gentiles first with Cornelius, you remember that, he's the one that said, why are we burdening down the Gentiles with something that we couldn't do? And our fathers all the way going back to Moses. They couldn't keep the law either. And that's one of the things that you have to look at in all of this. When people say sometimes that there was a different way of salvation in the Old Testament than the New, aren't you glad we're in the New Testament? Well, that's not exactly right because you could be saved by keeping the law, but here's a big if. If you kept all of the law and if you kept it, all of the time. It's pass-fail. There's no room for error. And if you're guilty of breaking one part, you're guilty of all of it. The weight of condemnation comes down on you if you can't keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. Well, nobody could do that. And in the Old Testament, we find examples of people that, well, we find them being converted not by keeping the law, but because they recognized their sinfulness in the law, okay? If I were to go to uh, uh, my bathroom and uh, I've been working on my car, maybe I'm changing the brakes or changing the oil or something like that, and I have a tendency to 
touch my face, kind of like that. And let's say that I do that and I get, you know, grease and oil on, um, you know, my face, but I don't know it. And I go into the house and Sammy might say, you need to look in the mirror. Man, you've got black stuff all over your face. And so I go and I look at the mirror in our bathroom. And when I look, I say, sure enough, man, there I am with the black stuff on my face. My face is dirty. I didn't know it was dirty. It doesn't feel dirty, but the mirror revealed that it is dirty. That's what the law of God does in the Old Testament. The law was designed by God to show the sinfulness of humanity, the inadequacy of humanity to keep the law of God. It reveals the sin. It shows that you have a dirty face. Now, can you imagine if I were to take a screwdriver and I unhook the brackets off of the mirror uh, that I'm looking into, and then when I get the mirror off, I start rubbing it all over my face. You say, why would you do that? Well, if the mirror reveals that my face is dirty, won't it clean the dirty face? Well, of course not. And when you try to keep the law in order to become righteous, it, the, it, the law is wholly inadequate for that. The law cannot clean you. The law can only reveal that you are dirty and that you are a sin. And that's why Paul said to, uh, I believe it was Timothy, that the law is good if you use it properly. It's not a way to achieve anything. It's not a ladder that we climb to get to God or to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is what God uses to bring conviction on our hearts. Uh, if some of you who remember when we've watched in the past the Way of the Master videos where Ray Comfort is witnessing to people on the street, uh, do you remember what it was like when the camera would show the person that Ray was witnessing to, when he would say something like, uh, are you a good person? And they would nod and say, well, I'm not perfect, but yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. And he would say, well, let me ask you some questions to see whether that's true. And he might ask them, have you ever told a lie? And they would say, uh, yes. And the look on their face would change just a little bit. Well, what do you call someone who tells a lie? Well, when they're forced to say uh, a liar, uh, they're not so glib and happy about it. Well, have you ever stolen anything regardless of its value? And they go, well, well yeah, but nothing, nothing that really mattered. And he said, well, what do we call someone who steals things? And they say, well, uh, a thief. And uh, the look on their face is not real pleasant. They're serious. They're thinking about it. And he might ask them some other things that come out of the Ten Commandments. Do you always honor your father and your mother? Do you always tell the truth? And those kind of things. Have you always loved God? Have you ever used his name in vain? And, uh, you know, and then he says, do you still say you're a good person? If you stood before God and he judged you by this standard, would you be innocent or would you be guilty? And he's kind of funny when he says, uh, the person tries to say, well, I think I'm okay. Really? You just admitted you're a lying, uh, thieving, blaspheming uh, person, and yet you want me to believe you when you say you're good? The law would say otherwise. And then he tells them how Jesus died on the cross to pay 
for the broken law and its penalty in our lives. Well, that's what Paul would say the law is used for. The Judaizers would say, no, the law is what you use to get right with God. And there's a certain amount of pride in all of that. Look how good I am. It's the Pharisee and the uh, tax collector in the temple. And the Pharisee says, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And then he begins to talk about how bad they are and how good he is. And that's what it means in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved, not by keeping the law, but by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. What? Lest any man should boast, because that's exactly what we would do. Now, is this something the Judaizers, Judaizers might say this? Is this something new? I mean, Abraham didn't live like that, or did he? Moses didn't live like that, or did he? And uh, they would try to say keeping the law is the tradition that we keep. Keeping the law is something that our forefathers did, and you need to join us in keeping all of this. Well, when you read in the uh, Old Testament, you find some things that you really ought to think about because the gospel of the grace of God, Christ dying on the cross for our sins, God giving us what we don't deserve and giving Jesus what he didn't deserve, our, the punishment for our sin, you know, that's something that is taught even in the Old Testament. When you think about Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin, and the first thing they do is they hide from God. And God in his grace does what he always does. The Bible says no one seeks after God, and neither did Adam and Eve. They hid, and God comes after them. He's the shepherd that seeks after his sheep. And when he did, he got an animal, and he killed the animal and clothed Adam and Eve. In other words right there at the very beginning at the first sin that the fall of man the principle was this the innocent is going to die as a substitute for the guilty you see any jesus in that you see any gospel in that that's exactly what it is and that's coming from the old testament in the book of genesis one of my favorite passages of scripture is the book of isaiah chapter 53 Boy, it could not be any more clear. Isaiah says in chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Well, big revelation there, right? And then it says, but he, God, has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. What is that telling us? We're the sinners who have gone astray and God takes our sin and lays it on his servant, who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, his punishment, his suffering, we are healed. Wow, that, that is just an amazing thing to me to think that God would make it clear in the Bible that salvation is going to be something that God provides. When Abraham and Isaac are on their way to Mount Moriah and Isaac is going to be sacrificed, 
Isaac kind of catches on. Something's not right here. Something in the milk ain't white. We have the wood and we have the fire. Uh, where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, Abraham said something that I'm not sure he understood everything he said, but boy, is it ever powerful. God will provide himself a lamb. And you know what? That's exactly what God did when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is that lamb pictured in all of those sacrificial offerings throughout all of those years. And God himself is provided as uh, the lamb, the lamb of God that John the Baptist said would take away the sins of the world. When you think about the deliverance of Israel from bondage in Egypt, think about how God did that. He came to them, he brought Moses to them, and he brought them out. It was through nothing that they did, no human achievement, nothing good in their lives. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he says, I, in fact, did not choose you because you were mighty or powerful or rich or many in number. I chose you because I loved you. And then through the sacrifices, all of those lambs that were offered were pointing ahead to the offering of that one ultimate thing, the Lord Jesus Christ for sins. And every time they killed a lamb, every time they put it on the altar, they were picturing the gospel. Substitution of the innocent, perfect lamb for the guilty, imperfect sinners. You know, that should have been something that uh, would have been easy for the Jews to understand because even Father Abraham that they revered so much received righteousness by faith, not by works. Genesis 15 verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Simple faith in what God says. Simple faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Even David wrote about it in Psalm 16, um, verse 21. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have, listen to this, no good apart from you. So David even wouldn't come before the Lord and say, look at what all I have done and look at all of my accomplishments and everything that I have achieved and all the ways that I have kept the law. Well, the Lord, you know what he would have done. He said, well, David, let's talk about all the ways that you have not kept the law. Let's talk about all the things that are hidden in your heart. And let's talk about the things that are public and known, like what he did with Bathsheba and how he murdered Uriah the Hittite. And that is true of all of us. We might want to come and do what Proverbs says. Every man proclaims his own goodness, does my good outweigh the bad? And we uh, might try to say that it does, but uh, the Lord, like any good judge, would say, let's talk about what you didn't do that was right. If a criminal stands before a judge for murdering five people and he tries to appeal to the fact that there are thousands of people that he didn't murder, well, the judge is going to say, you're not on trial for what you didn't do. You're on trial for what you did do. And the same thing is true as we think about the law, except that in that case, there are many parts of the law that we didn't keep, and so we're guilty. And then there are those other things that come up as well. So uh, Paul received this 
by divine revelation, and uh, it was backed up by the Old Testament scriptures. This isn't something that somebody just came up with. It's clear this is the way God operates, always has, and always will. And by the way, just in case you ever hear this, Jews are not saved differently than Gentiles. And there's not an Old Testament gospel that is different from a New Testament gospel. They both are the same by grace through faith. Now, let's talk about the gospel's transformation. And as we uh, look at verses 13 and 14, it says, For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Why did he do that? He thought they were wrong. He thought they were blaspheming his religion and his God. And he said, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, top of the class, in other words, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, enthusiastic for the traditions of my fathers. So when we think about Paul, what a radical change was wrought in his life. Now, he could have stayed a Jew, and if the Judaizers were right, Paul could have remained where he was as a Pharisee, and everybody would have thought he was great. He wouldn't have been, uh, uh, you know, somebody that they rejected or somebody that they tried to undermine or anything. In fact, they would be promoting him and fluffing him up. He could have walked like they did. Christianity is just kind of a sect or a part of Judaism, and I'm still a part of the Jewish traditions, and uh, yet he didn't. Because the gospel is so radical and because it shifts everything from human performance to what Christ has done for us, now all of a sudden Paul's an enemy. Paul is treasonous, and Paul has changed, and Paul is hated, and uh, the hatred that he had for the church, now he is the recipient of that very same hatred by his uh, own uh, fellow Jews. And so uh, all of this is something that reminds us that the gospel comes to our lives, and it's not just an addition. The Judaizers might have made the gospel just, you know, kind of an addition to uh, Judaism. Paul said, no, it's not just an addition, it's exclusive. You trust it, and you trust it alone, and Christ alone for salvation. You don't trust yourself, you don't trust your race, you don't trust your religion, you don't trust your performance. It's all about Jesus. And thirdly, we notice the gospel's affirmation. 15 and 16. But when it pleased God, and that's what it's really all about, isn't it? Who separated me from my mother's womb. Okay, when was Paul born? I don't exactly know. He was somewhere around the same age that the Lord Jesus was. But uh, notice here, it was God who separated him from his mother's womb. In other words, you don't choose your birthday. That's chosen by God. You, you choose very little about your life. But God had a plan for the Apostle Paul. He not only allowed Paul to be born, but then called me through grace. Not by Paul's performance. Paul's performance was wicked and sinful and horrible. All the things Paul was guilty of, even murder of believers. And uh, Paul never really got over that, did he? He always brings that up in his testimony. 
and he's thrilled with the fact that God would forgive him and receive him after what he did. And he said, and he revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So think about it. Paul was saved like you are according to God's pleasure and eternal purpose. And Paul's destiny was in line with the creative power of God. God made him and God formed him for this particular task. And the timing was up to God and the uh, uh, physical and mental abilities that Paul had. Why was Paul so smart? God made him that way. And God wanted to use him to be able to make a clear, cogent presentation of Christianity in a synagogue or to pagan Gentiles. And Paul could do it because of the grace of God. And the location and the opportunities that he had and the interest he pursued and all of that was God gifting him and opening up the doors for him to share, just like he does with you just like he does with me. I can't do everything, but I can do what God made me to do. You can't do everything everywhere, but you can do what God has made you to do and what assignment he has given you. And last but not least, the gospel's confirmation, 16, the last part of 16 and 17. He says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia, went to the desert, and he lived there. In fact, we find out later he was there for three years, and that's where he was tutored by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where I think the book of Romans comes from, out of his three years in Arabia. And so he received the gospel, and uh, then later he confers with flesh and blood, and he makes sure that he's on track, makes sure that they could affirm him, makes sure that they were all on the same page and that they were right about all of this. So he didn't just copycat the apostles in Jerusalem, but he actually spent time with the Lord in the desert. And then he goes to Damascus and uh, everything is confirmed. And then he meets with uh, certain apostles and they all agree that he's on the right track. And so there's a consensus of all of this there. And uh, that's in contrast to the Judaizers, John MacArthur says, who received their religious instruction from rabbinic tradition. Most Jews did not study the actual scriptures. Instead, they used human interpretations of scripture as their religious authority and guide. Many of their traditions not only were not taught in Scripture, but also contradicted it. For example, Mark 7, 13. You see, they uh, were always looking for loopholes. Why did they look for loopholes? Because if they could find an exception and find a loophole in the law, then they could make the case, look, I've done that, look, I've kept that, or look, I don't have to do that. In the Mark 7 passage that uh, is referenced here, uh, the Jews were real big on the fact that uh, as you were an adult, you were supposed to take care of your aging parents. But these Pharisees had found a way around that. You know what they would say? Well, I can't give this money to mom and dad because it's Corbin. I've promised it for the work of the Lord and for the temple. 
And so because of that, they would shirk their responsibilities to take care of their elderly parents. And they did this continuously because they would teach as the uh, commandments of God, the traditions of men. And boy, did Jesus ever come down on them for that because they were not true to the word of God because of their wicked hearts. And so when the gospel comes along and says, look, through the gospel, Christ will be your sacrifice. Christ will become your righteousness and give you righteousness. He will pay the penalty for your sin. He will live through you and you can be cleansed. In fact, you can get a new heart and a new nature and a new relationship with God. And the Judaizers just didn't like that at all. I suspect that they were Pharisees because that was an implication that they weren't good enough, that they had not done enough, that they had not achieved what they thought they had achieved, which is self-righteousness. No wonder people didn't like them very much. And so Paul, as he defends the gospel, he talks about how you can see the power of the gospel in my own life. We'll talk more about that next week. But thank you for your time so much. And may the Lord enhance your understanding of the gospel. I used to think that the gospel was just what you needed to get saved. And that's what you needed if you were a baby Christian. Truth of the matter is, I need the gospel every single day. You need the gospel every single day because that's what keeps us in line with what pleases God and it keeps us humble before God. So God bless you and may the gospel work powerfully in your life today and every day.